Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we're going to continue to talk about how to make better decisions. And uh, how many of you were not here last week? Oh, my. Oh, my. All right. Well, we're going to start with our springboard text out of Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, where God says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and choosing, blessing and cursing, cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Uh, Some people just have the idea that life is just going to happen, that everything is kind of all set and what you do doesn't matter, that that there is just this like destiny that is going to happen to you. But the Bible does not teach that. In fact, God says here, your choices bring life or death. They bring blessing or cursing. Now notice, and it doesn't just affect you. It's really interesting that our choices do not just affect us. They affect the people around us. In fact, the Bible says here, you and your descendants. So in making better choices, we mentioned last week, the first thing that we need to consider is God's word. We never want to violate the word of God. So look at the word, have a biblical worldview, a biblical view about marriage, a biblical view about money, a biblical view about raising your children. Get that biblical worldview. Secondly, learn from the wise and the learned. Uh, there's a Chinese proverb that says the best way to find out what is happening someplace else is to talk to somebody who's coming back. Find out the wise and the learned. And then thirdly, we mentioned, ask questions of the wise and successful. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Now, the truth is that people that know won't tell you. Now, you think, well, if they know, they'll tell me. No, they probably won't tell you. And the reason they won't Unless tell it's you... their wife. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. She does tell me. Okay. Now, the reason they don't tell you is this. Listen, is unsolicited advice is almost never listened to. Right? But when somebody's interested, that person is very, very much wanting to share. So it says the man of understanding. Say that when, when it comes to a wife being around, when do, and I said it last week, but when do husbands ever ask for their advice? It's never solicited, so they have to give unsolicited advice or they can't, fall, they can't do what God has wired them to do, and that's to be um, anointed of the Holy Spirit to counsel and teach and, and instruct. instruct and give ideas and help. for just a moment? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it says, the man of understanding will draw it out. How do you draw out wise counsel from somebody's heart? By asking questions. Ask questions of people who've been successful in an area, who have wisdom in an area, and that's how you draw that understanding, that counsel out. You draw it out by asking questions. Okay, and again, there's no dumb questions. All right, so now, here we go. Number, whatever the next number would be, 
is <laughs> get, get, get he's, instruction. He's, he's looking at me. Listen, listen to your wife. Just oh, good. Simple. I like that point. That's the point. I think we, that's we, why we I'm here. We kind of got started on that last week. Yeah, we and did. listen to your spouse. And um, for those that didn't hear the list, because he loves this list, it, because it's so eye-opening and unbelievable. But when, I believe um, it. Yeah, he believes the Bible. And here in um, Genesis 2, 18, where the Lord said that it was not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper or, or help meet um, comparable to him. And the words there, the help means to be a, the part opposite or the other side. Um, um, and uh, no, help, it means to surround. That's the part that means surround to protect or help. The same word that's used to describe God as being our help. And then meet, that part is a part opposite or other side uh, or other sight. She sees things differently. Counterpart uh, comes from the word that means to stand boldly out opposite, to announce always by word of mouth to one present, to expose, predict, explain, expound fully, messenger, plainly profess, tell, utter, speak, rehearse, report, show forth. (laughs) All the ladies are laughing because, and the men are like, oh my. (laughs) Yeah, and and I mentioned last, really the sin of the woman is that she has all of this built and wired into her to, to help. We just want to help and we want to, we've got that, that desire in there and um, the ability, but the sin of the woman is to try to replace the Holy Spirit and attempt to convict and direct her husband. Mm-hmm. And that's not what, we're supposed to do. And I'm going to just say it again. The sin of the woman is to try to replace the Holy Spirit. And men, if you try to replace the Holy Spirit, it's a sin to you too. And attempt to convict or direct um, your spouse. And um, man, I have tried. It doesn't work very well to um, tell him what to do. So... You know, he says, like, he just was said, that the wise man knows how to draw it out. And um, I have learned there's certain ways of communicating that he can hear me better. Um, you know, if I, if I go at, at whining and um, just, like, you know, you never do this right, and, and you, you, I need your... I need your help and you never give me your help. You know, if you go in with all the negatives and, and um, there are certain times of the month when a woman can just feel all those negative things more and it seems like it just flows out of you. That's just when to shut up. Just don't, <laughs> don't bring up certain, you know, you just wait until you get in the word and you can be uh, calm and positive. And one of my favorite, favorite spots to be is in Ephesians um, where it tells us that there are things we have to put off, take off, and things we have to put on to be renewed and, and have a, be the new creature. We put away lying. We put away anger. We put away uh, some of the old conduct things. And then we put on um, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. We We put on patience. We put on the fruit of the Spirit. But I love in Ephesians 4, um, verse, where do we say? 26. Be angry. 
You're going to have strong feelings. It's okay. You're going to feel strongly about different things, but you don't have to sin. You just don't have to sin. And, and the worst way to try to convince your husband that you're right is to get mad at him because men put up their dukes. Is that what you call it? You know, that they, they, dukes. I don't know. That's what, when I was little, that's what we said. Put up your dukes and let's fight. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's, I hope that's not a bad word. I don't know. That's just, um, (laughs) I mean, I was, anyway, I was an ignorant kid. Um, so then, um, but now I'd lost my train of thought. We're not being angry. We're not being angry. And, but don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down on, um, don't stay upset about things. And that doesn't mean that, oh, good, I'll dump everything on him and then I'll go to sleep. <laughs> and um, I've actually heard, I actually did that once. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I had stored up some opinions for a long time and we were driving a long trip and I don't know if the light went out or something in the car and I couldn't read to him. So I decided to tell him and I, I just dumped everything all at once. And it, once, once I started on a roll, it just like, oh, and that made me think of other things. I just, I just dumped it on him and I thought, now he can sort through all that and decide what he can fix and do and, and, and come. Well, he wasn't sorting anything. He just about um, drove off the road and uh, on purpose. <laughs> and um but I felt so like oh now he's listened to me he's heard me he's going to he, he's going to take care of it all and I felt really good and we we get to where we're going and uh we jump in bed and I have to confess I felt cuddly and he was like don't touch me for another year and a half I mean he was just like he was it hurt him and I didn't realize that I was hurting him so Anyway, I learned not to overdump. I'm trying not to overdump. Um, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, but that doesn't mean you have to dump every little irritated thing that you ever felt that day and 20 days before on each other. Before, and then try to go to sleep. That's silly. We can't go to sleep on that. But it means that you roll everything over on the Lord. You give up your right to explain everything your way. You give up your right to be right. You give up your right. You, you say, God, you know what? You are at work in this man or this woman. You're at work in them, and you're going to bring it to completion. And you're the Holy Spirit. You're the one that convicts. Um, so it's not my job to correct him or convict him. Or So um, I, I repent for my part in this uh, interesting life. And... And I can go to sleep and leave. We can leave things in God's hands. It's just so wonderful. Um, And he goes on to say, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I think um, a lot of us, like in verse 31, where it says, let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we think we can carry those things around with us. Um, We can keep those things between us. We can use those as tools to uh, communicate and, and, and direct I can't direct my husband with bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. 
and malice. You're not going to lead somebody. You're not going to lead your kids that way. You're not going to be an influence, and, and you're not going to be able to help in any of the direction with that. And he goes on and says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God. Um, and I, I wanted to say that when Jesus said to turn the other cheek, he didn't mean, oh, you really hurt me here, so now t- turn and hurt me over here. He means you, when they do evil to you, you do not do it back. You turn the Jesus side to them. You pray for them. You, you bless your enemies, and, and they'll either melt or they'll have to run. Um, there's, God's power of love is much more stronger than um, our anger and our frustration that can ever be. Okay. Now, when she was, we're, we're talking about making a better decision. And one of the things that happen when a couple gets married is everything, you, you enter into a covenant, so everything's co-owned and co-administered. Right? So that means the money. So when I'm making money decisions, and you think about my wife, when she's making money decisions, she thinks about me. But it means my time, uh, even my friendships. Uh, if I have somebody that I feel comfortable with and I like hanging out with, but Jeannie said to me, uh, I don't feel comfortable with you hanging around with him because there's just something that I just don't feel like he's a good influence on you. Let me just say right, right there, right then, that relationship that I had with that person changes, right? Now she sees something and feels something that I don't. But everything in the marriage is co-owned and co-administered. Right? That's why you listen to your spouse. Right? And anytime anything becomes more important to you than your spouse, your spouse becomes jealous. And it's not a wrong jealousy. God says, I'm the Lord. I am a jealous God. Because there's a certain part of our heart that should belong to him, right? First. And there's a certain part of our heart that after God should belong to our spouse, right? So that's what we've got to listen to our spouse. They see things different, but they've got a perspective and an ownership in our life. And just because, well, this is, it's my life. No, it's not my life. Once I get married, right? It's our life. It's our money. It's our time. And it's not just mine. Now, the next thing we wanted to talk about is found in uh, Psalms 37 in verse four. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, people will read that and they're thinking of a house or they're thinking of a car or maybe a vacation. And they're thinking that's the desire that God's going to give me. But, but it actually is the exact opposite. It's not that you're going to have a desire that he's going to give you, but he's going to give you the desire that's going to be in your heart. He puts the desire inside of you. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, uh, in the translator's New Testament, it says, for God himself is at work in you, and he inspires you to want what pleases him. So God puts the want or God puts the desire on the inside of you, right? Uh, when we first 
first were married, we, we spent our, our first anniversary, by the time we were married one year, we were living in Mexico. We were missionaries. And uh, we started a church in Guadalajara, and we were there for about two years. And Guadalajara, at that time, was a good-sized city, about three and a half million people, very modern. And uh, we were in our little church and, and really kind of felt like we'd probably be there indefinitely. Well, I get a phone call from my friend, Javier, who lives in Mexico City. And Javier says to me, he says, hey, I'm going to go preach in the mountains of Mexico. He says, way up. He says, you got to take a mule ride to get there. And he says, and there's no electricity and no running water. And he says, it's going to be a lot of fun. He says, "Uh, would you come with me? And I said, well, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So we end up, we go to Mexico City. Jeannie stays with his wife and they have a little girl and we've just had our, our, our first child. And so Javier and I go out to this, this village and they get us up about two o'clock in the morning, throw us in the back of a little CJ Jeep. We go two or three hours down a paved road. Then we go a couple hours down a dirt road and then it ended. And there were a bunch of mountain men out there. And, uh, we had brought along a generator and a movie projector and a sound system. And they put some of them on mules and they, they threw me on a mule and they threw my friend Javier on a mule and whew, took off 12 hours riding the mules to get out to this village. And it was up the mountain, down the mountain, across the river, up the mountain, down the mountain, across the river. And, and I have said this before, but I think I had the smallest mule that God ever created. Because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I would sit on that mule and uh, oops, see if I can get this over here. All right. And I'm riding like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the trail would have an indentation in it sometimes. And I would literally, I'd stand up and I'd go like this. <laughs> but if you've, you're not used to riding and you ride for 12 hours like this, I mean, I was so sore. I literally, I, I, am, I am crying at points. Well, finally, we get back to this village. And as they said, no running water, no bathrooms, no electricity. We're there for just a little while. And uh, I'm not going to tell you all the story, but, but I'm freaking out. And I go over to my friend Javier. And I said, I said, Javier, this is not my ministry. I says, I belong in cities where there's electricity and running water and bathrooms. And the bathroom part was, uh, we got there and I asked for the bathroom. And they said to me, al monte. If you don't know what that means, that means the mountain. Any place you can find in the mountain is the bathroom. So, Little city boy, I go find a spot on the side of the mountain and I'm trying to take care of business. And this pig, probably 500 pound pig, charges, can't wait. (laughs) And I thank God there was a stone nearby and I hit him in the head and he squealed and took off and I went and found Javier. And I said, Javier, I do not belong here. This is not my ministry. And I literally take Javier by his shirt and I'm shaking him. And I said, Javier, we need to leave now. And he said to me, he said, we can't. And I said, why? And he says, number one, he says, we do not know the way back. I said, number two, we have no mules. 
And number three, we told him we were going to stay for three days. So literally, we would start our service in the evening at about six o'clock and get done at midnight. We'd have a service in the morning from eight to noon, take about an hour and a half break, have another three hour service. And we weren't in service. They'd just take us from hut to hut and we we're praying for people. And, and uh, I remember as we're getting ready to leave, uh, I climbed up on a real mule you know, and, and, and uh, I started to cry. Now, the reason I was crying was not that I was happy we were going to leave. But while we were there, God had put such a, a love in my heart for the people that I, I, I sensed God saying, I want you to move from Guadalajara to the city. I want you to move to the village and I want you to minister to these people. And it's just in my heart and I'm crying. Now, there was nothing, nothing in the natural that would make me want to move. Nothing. But yet it was in my heart and it was in my heart deep. Now, the Bible says God himself is at work in you and he inspires you to want what pleases him. The Old Testament says he gives you the desires of your heart. He puts a desire in you to do something that's going to bless people. That's going to do something that's going to help the kingdom of God. And God does that with every single person. We may not recognize it, but God puts desires on the inside of us. And if we will follow the desires that God puts in us, we will make better decisions. See, we won't be doing what culture tells us. We won't be doing what's convenient. We won't be doing what the flesh tells us. We'll be doing what the spirit of God puts on the inside of us. All right. So we moved to a village. Uh, we lived there for two years. Uh, in, the, in our village that, that we lived in, we had church 365 days a year. Every single night we had church. And uh, we'd go to church. And if we were in town, I'd preach at that church. If we were out of town, up in a different village somewhere, I'd, I'd be preaching there. Uh, Jeannie is taking care of the house. And, and uh, we loved what we were doing. I mean, we were happy, 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 happy. We loved it. We loved it. Now, somebody else may have, might have looked at us and thought, what in the world are you doing? I tell you, we would not have traded place with anybody on the planet. Right? Well, I'm praying one day and the Lord puts in my heart and says, uh, I'm an, I want you to go to Guadalajara and I want you to teach in the Bible college. And it was like a light bulb went on. It's like, oh, yes, we can get people before they get full of tradition. I can teach young pastors. And I mean, this, this thing just explodes on the inside of me. So I go home and I say to Jeannie, I said, Jeannie, I, I believe that God wants us to move. We're going to get asked to preach or to teach in this Bible college. And, and I think we're supposed to do it. And all I could think was everything that we were in the middle of doing and that was happening that was so wonderful and so good and, and the ideas and the things we were going to do or in the process of doing and building there in the churches. And like, we're not done here. There's so much more to do. Uh, are you sure you're hearing from God? Because this is, I, anyway, I don't hear it. She didn't hear it at all. In fact, she kind of like, this is basically what she said to me. That's, this is what he heard me say. <laughs> That's different. Okay. I heard her say, no, you're missing God. She says, you are just sick. 
of walking for hours and hours to get to villages. You're sick of sleeping on dirt floors. You're sick of eating snakes and monkeys and lizards. And uh, you, you're, just looking, you're just looking for something easy. So I said to her, I said, just pray about it. I said, just pray about it. Well, I was gone for a couple days out in the village preaching, a different village preaching. And uh, I prayed about it. I really didn't hear anything. And I remember getting back about midnight and uh, I get to the door and Jeannie opens the door and she says to me, she says, have you seen our village? And I thought, well, yeah, we've been living here for two years. Of course I've seen our village. And she begins to list off all the things that are wrong with our village. You remember things that? that were wrong that was difficult. We had a little uh, Dutch blonde little boy, and and none of the little none of the kids would play with him. I'd go to visit with and visit people, and and their kids would like bring out an offering of toys and sit it. <laughs> at his feet, and then they'd all like back up and around to watch the blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy to see what he would do and how he'd play with it. They wouldn't play with him They'd normal. never seen anybody with blonde hair and, and, or blue eyes. You know, they were a little like In, in fact, the him. most common question when we lived there that we received from people was, can he see? Because his eyes were blue. And then we'd say, yes. And they'd say, well, does he see blue? And we'd say, well, do you see brown? You know, and everybody would laugh. Um, but We'd, that day, uh, that, when I, I suddenly saw it. I'm not done. You're not done. I'm not I interrupted. Done. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we, live, we live right on the outskirts of the village. There's a river right in front of our house, a bridge that goes across, and there's no public bathrooms in the village. So everybody, as they're going into the village, stop right in front of our house, maybe 100 people a, a day, and do their business. It was like our house and right the road and then the big trees on the edge of But it never bothered us before. But all of a sudden, everything, she says, did you notice this? And if you notice this, and if you notice this, and if you notice this. And, and, and I says, yeah, I've noticed all that stuff. I mean, it's no big deal. And, and she says, no, she says, I want to move. And, and I said, well, in a couple of months, we'll go to Guadalajara and teach in the school. And she says, no, I want to move tonight. It was like the grace that I had that just made it easy suddenly was gone and everything was uncomfortable and it didn't fit right. And like, wow, this is not, not she just said it. She just said it perfect. All right. When you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there is a grace. The grace of God is on you to do it. And it's and not some, like things aren't difficulty. They're not maybe, it's not like it's simple, simple and easy, but the grace of God is there that picks you up when, when in the difficult times and holds you and it inspires you. Yeah. But there can be a time when the grace, when God's saying it's time to move, often what happens is the grace lifts. And what was easy and enjoyable and, and fulfilling before, all of a sudden it's no longer fulfilling, it's no longer easy. And it's, and, and, and it's like there, there's, there's this, like something on the inside of you is saying, this, this portion of my ministry or what God has me doing in this place, it's done. Right? Now, by the way, I'm not talking about your spouse. <laughs> Just thought I'd let you know that. We're not, we're not talking about your spouse. But, but one of the ways we make the best decisions is when we follow the grace of God. When we live in the grace 
of God. Um, I need to say one more thing before he goes on to the next one on desire and being led by desire. A lot of you can say, well, I've got lots of desires. I want to do a lot of good things even. <laughs> They're not bad desires. They're good ones. But so, to, like, which one is the God desire? Which one's the God one? And um, this is really important. I, Psalm 37 uh, 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's not, des- delight yourself in the Lord, and then he'll give you whatever you want. Um, but he will give you godly, righteous desires. And so I was reading that one day, and the understanding, the important part is delight yourself in the Lord. Delight, take delight in the word of God. We went to the store yesterday, and um, actually, Dwayne bought me this vest, but I didn't want it before I didn't see it. But then as we were going out to the store, there was this mannequin there, and I, oh, isn't that cute? And once I saw it, I started delighting in it. <laughs> and the more I delighted in it, I'm like, Dwayne, come back here. <laughs> and and it, it, what out of that which you delight in will spring your desires. And your desires affect your decisions that you make. And your decisions will affect the direction that you take. And, of course, the direction you take affects the destiny that you end up at. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when you end up in a place, you're like, what am I doing here? You can track back and say, well, I'm in this place because I went this direction. And I went that direction because I made this decision. And why did I make that decision? Because I had this desire which really came out of me delighting in something I shouldn't have. And so it's really important that we delight in the Lord, we delight in his word, we delight in reading and and learning the Proverbs and learning what righteousness is, what God-likeness is, what Christ, the image that we're, we're copying what it is to be able to get those desires. I think we all know that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived apart from Jesus. But it's so interesting that the wisest man that ever lived talks more about getting counsel than anybody else. Because wise people understand that they need counsel. Proverbs 15, 12. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they're established. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. So there's, uh, there's one, one particular story I just want to use to illustrate the fact that no matter how godly you may be, no matter how wise you may be, right, you need to be open to the counsel of people that are wise. Right? So David has a son named Absalom who rises up in rebellion against David. And David literally has to flee the city. And Absalom comes in, he takes control of the city. And David only has about 300 men, 300, excuse me, 3,000 men with him. But Absalom gathers all of Israel. He's got 300,000 men. And they, they come and they attack David. Well, in the midst of the battle, Absalom is killed. David's men get the victory. And David finds out about it. He finds out that they've won, but he also finds out that his son Solomon has died. And by the way, the Bible tells us that the forest killed more men than the battle. The battle killed 20,000 men. And the forest even killed more. 
because it was so terribly thick. So 40,000 people at least have died. And David gets the news that they've won the victory, that his son Absalom is dead. And this is what it says. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only he had died in your place. Absalom, my son, my son. Now, when the commander, Joab, comes back, he's told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard that heard said that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in the battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out, out loud, oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came to the house to the king and said, today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and your daughters, the lives of your wives, the lives of your concubines. If Absalom had won, all of David's family would have been put to death. In that you love your enemies, you hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither prince nor servant. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would have been well pleased. Now therefore arise. Here's some counsel. Go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse, from you, worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. And the king arose, sat in the gate. And it was told of the people saying, there the king is sitting in the gate. And the people came before the king and everyone in Israel, for everyone in Israel had fled to their tent. Now here's David, who's king, who we consider to be very wise, but he was absolutely blind what was happening around him that he had disgraced everybody that was around him, that he was, he was mourning for the one who had rebelled against him, who would have taken the life of every one of his family members. He's not mourning for the 40,000 people that have died. He's just concerned. He, he is so narrowly focused on this one item. And Joab came in and literally saved the kingdom by telling the king, look, you are blind in this area. How many of you know, every one of us have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And there's things that people around us, because of their age, maybe because of their gender, their ethnicity, their experience, their education, the culture that they came from, they see things we don't see. Right? And we have got to be open to receive counsel from people that are around us. And by the way, there's a couple of times when Joab gave David the best counsel ever. And there's a couple of times he gave him some really bad counsel. Right? So, so we, we, but we need to be open to receive counsel from people that are around us. You say, yeah, but I'm wise. Well, David was wise, but he was also blind. And again, every one of us, there's those times that we're blind. We need the counsel from other people. And there's times when, when the battles that we face, we're going to be able to win. Everybody knows that David killed Goliath, right? We all know that. But what most Christians don't know is there was a giant that David couldn't kill. The Bible said that they were in battle and Ishbibinab, the son of the giant, had a new sword and he thought to kill David because he was weary in the battle. And Ishbibinab was going to kill David. 
But the Bible says Abishai came and killed the giant. There's days you're going to have the wisdom that you need, but there's going to be days you don't have the wisdom. There's days you're going to be able to kill every giant, but there's also days that if you don't have help, you don't have somebody with you, somebody that's going to fight with you, going to pray with you, give you good counsel, the giant will take you out. So be open to counsel and have those relationships. There is somebody who's going to fight the battle with you. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Now, whether you're right here or whether you're, you're watching online, if you're not where you should be with God, you don't know where you stand with God or you're away from the Lord, I want to pray with you tonight. John, the disciple that was the closest of all to Jesus, he wrote and he says, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. Notice he says that you may know that you have. So many people are like, well, I hope I'm a Christian. I hope I'm going to get to heaven. But the Bible says you should know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be. So I want to ask everybody, please take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray together. I want you to make these words your home. Just say this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I am forgiven. My past is gone and I'm a part of your family today, forever. In Jesus name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.